and welcome to the Leaf Cast. I'm Jenny Clark, Leaf's Assurance Manager, but today I want to talk all things with four legs and four stomachs and look at how integrative farm management and attention to detail can help to improve profitability, efficiency and sustainability on livestock farms. And I'm joined today by one of our Leaf demonstration farmers, John Renner, who farms beef, sheep and a little bit of arable up in Northumberland with his family. Hi, John. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. At least I've only got two legs and one stomach. <laughs> good stuff um and we're obviously recording this in the middle of the pandemic how's the pandemic kind of affected you uh it's just bizarre um people have asked me that and really i realize how we live in such a social distancing world up here in 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 the thumberland yes it's affected us it's affected the way we shop but actually the way we run our businesses and the way we farm barely barely affected us i'm, I'm just not a sociable sort of guy obviously <laughs> fair enough <laughs> Uh, probably quite a good thing then. Glad to glad to hear life's still pretty good for you. And also in a bit of a mini heat wave at the moment, that might have affected you more. So I shouldn't I should know better than to talk to farmers about the weather. But how are you dealing with the heat wave and the various droughts we've been having? The hot period we had, we had no rain for ten weeks, and then we we've had a generous amount over the last two three weeks. Uh, and things have it's amazing how how grasses and nature and the crops have just come back at high speed. And uh, we're looking at decent silage crops now. Uh, everything's a little bit later. Well, saying that, looking back on, on the, the diary that I keep, I keep a diary on, on paper and on iPhone and through cameras and through photos. We're virtually bang on where we were last year. So it's amazing how it's how it's all changed and come back. So some of you who may be uh, were able to follow us on Online Farm Sunday back on the 7th of June or the videos are still online might have got a bit of a taster for John and his family and how he farms. But paint the picture for us listening today. Online Open Farm Sunday. What a fun day. My heart was beating at high speed and you saw Northumberland in June on one of the worst days I think you could get Northumberland in June. It was cold, it was wet, it was windy. We're, we're really lucky we've got two sites and they're about two miles miles apart. One at Bells Hill, it's high and it looks down over the Northumberland coast, the stunning Northumberland coast of Bambra Castle in the Farne Islands. And and mornings like this morning, it's just out. I've been up since about three o'clock looking out the window because it's just mesmerising and it doesn't happen all the time. I do go back to bed and then get up and have a cup of tea or something. And and it's just stunning. We're so fortunate to live in, in, in this spot. And then we've got the best of both worlds because we go over to Amaside Hill and we look down through the, the Glendale Valley and, and, and over the area and right up to Kelso and into Scotland and we look right onto the Cheviot Hills and it's quite a breathtaking view over there as well and um, our farm is, is nearly all grassland it, it's not very high actually it goes up from about 100 metres up to about 170 metres in, in the Thumberland terms it's not very high but it sits on a little brow in the middle of Northumberland. I took on the tenancy in 1997 and we were really fortunate in 2006 to, to buy the farm and then we sold a bit and bought a bit and sold a bit and bought a bit so yes and now it's a great place to live and a great place to be and tell us a bit about the stock you have on the farm what kind of breeds of sheep and beef are you farming up there our cows are Aberdeen Angus crosses and they're all beautiful it's traditional to Northumberland sheep we have Scottish black faces and we have primeras and uh, the Scottish primera ewe lambs are now being covered by abamaxes and so what we've ended up is with a, a sheep that's really efficient at converting grass protein into meat finishing relatively quickly but at a very very low cost 
And I've been to your farm, so I'm lucky enough to know you've also got some lovely highlands. <laughs> yeah, we, we had names for them all as well. Three of them aren't with us anymore, but uh, Fiona and Kirsty are still with us. And that was the core, that was the beginning, that was where we started with two highland cows and we crossed a, a Welsh black onto the highlands and then we crossed an Angus onto their progeny. So we big rough ready cows and they're so cost effective good to hear so you've obviously been doing integrated farm management for a long time how long have you been a leaf demonstration farmer for oh i'm one of the old guys 2003 yeah. okay so what's that now 17 years so integrate farm management clearly at the uh, core of your business and, and it's going to feed into everything we talk about so i wanted to start by um talking i hear you have achieved a really high health status would you like to talk about how you've managed to achieve that and what that means i became aware of how important high health status was towards the profitability of the cattle herd and we were doing things with ebvs and and i realized that uh, wait a minute we can really control and monitor this this bit of the business we were struggling to control and monitor the cereal side of the business but with the cattle we can really control it and if you can't control it i don't know how you can seriously say the decisions are financially viable so monitor control and that's how we got into it and what does it involve what do you need to be doing to be at that high health status is it particular diseases it is i, I was unaware and it, it's one of those things once you start scratching around and having a look and looking for the information you begin to be bombarded by it and you think that can't be right or that wow is that the reason why that's happening and you start asking yourself more questions and then you ask more people more questions and it just opens up a minefield and helen and i my wife and i decided we had to start somewhere so we we started with vaccinations, vaccinating for certain situations. And then we moved on to blood testing the cows. And then we moved on to tissue sampling the cows. And then we moved on to blood testing for trace elements. And then we used boluses to increase. And it just went on and on and on. And actually, we're, we're in a rhythm. I hate to say we're in a rhythm, but we seem to be in a rhythm because new things arrive all the time. And we just embrace them and say, well, we can we can adapt to that. That's not a shock to the system. We thought that might be the case and and it's just having a we've got a system in place it sounds really clever but it isn't we just sort of mumbled along and and, and got the results we wanted I don't think it's involved sort of mumbling along. I think based on what you've said about the amount of monitoring that's that's needed um, and the amount of testing that you're doing, and as the old phrase goes, if you can measure it, you can manage it. So there's there's definitely been a lot of data gathering there that you've done to, to, to achieve that level. And do you work with a vet at all, have a good relationship with a local practice? We do work with the vets and we work with the vets incredibly closely. And recently we've just moved vets. It's like changing your wife when you move vets. It's a colossal step because they become your, they hold your hand through all the problems that you've got but our new vets black sheep vets they've just picked up exactly where the old vets were at and and our old vets guided us brilliantly as well always there always there for an ear or not frightened to say john do you think you're doing that correctly do you not think we should we should do this better would it be better for the bulls if we did this for them would it be better for the cows if we did this for them i'm quite a, an open-minded person and i don't get grumpy if people suggest things to me that's very ifm isn't it well, always questioning always looking to see if there's a better better option out there so great that you kind of have that relationship between the two of you that you're yeah, always striving for the best on on the table and obviously uh like high welfare and, and the welfare of your stock is is paramount and it's paramount to all livestock farmers how does calving and lambing 
work for you? Again, it's it's all part of the big bubble. And um, we started buying bulls on EBVs. Um, and we don't employ anybody on the farm. And we knew we could increase the number of, of cows we had and we could carry more cows. But we had to keep the cost of production as low as possible. And we wanted the cows to have ease of calving. We didn't want to interfere with any cows calving unless we, you know, we actually had to. And uh, to make life easier for us. There's a, a local Duffborough, what a lovely, lovely fellow. Sadly, he died last year. Uh, his son's taken over his mantle. But uh, Duff was a fantastic guide for me. And I went to Duff and just said, you know, I, I, need, I need a bull and I wanted to do this. And uh, in Duff's gruff voice, he said, no problem. You've got the choice of this or this or this or this. And I said, which one's the cheapest? And he went, this. And I went, that'll do. <laughs> and so we chose a bull specifically for its ease of carving. Absolutely. Its EBVs for ease of carving were just phenomenal. And that was a bull called Macduff. The next one was called Alan Black Boy. And, uh, and he's a lovely big bull. But again, it was for ease of carving, purely for ease of carving, but specifically for the daughter's inheritant ease of carving. So we knew we had ease of carving, but then we, we had then brought in the trait for inherited ease of carving. We haven't had to assist in a carving for seven years now. And I think that's just absolutely incredible since we've started using EBVs. You can go to a mart and you can say, that bull fills my eye. Uh, that'll be great. But you do not know its genetic makeup. You might not know that I've got an underlying genetic makeup of doing 100 meters in nine seconds. I haven't, but you don't know I haven't. And so we, we then really realized that our 400-day weights weren't good enough because we were selling cattle as store cattle at 365 days old and we just weren't getting those weights that we wanted so I went back to Duff Burrell and I said Duff we need good 400 day weights and he said well you've got the choice of this 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 or this and I said which one's the cheapest and he went this and, and we got the most fantastic bull called Alm Patriot and he was only nine months when he came to us and he has got a 400 day weight EBVs off the scale. It's so impressive to see his calves come through and achieve exactly what those EBV stats say. So not only do we have good EBVs for ease of carving, we have fantastic EBVs for 400 day weights now as well. So it's a long, long slog, but we're getting there eventually with EBVs. And it's bringing down the cost of production all the time. Exactly. And yeah, made some inherent connections between the welfare and then the performance. And that it all comes back to looking at those EBVs. And for those less familiar with those uh, among us or listening, what does EBV stand for? Sorry, we missed out on that. Oh, EBVs. And I've gone on with it for ages. Estimated breed values. I should have it tattooed on the inside of my arm or something because I love them. I absolutely love them. Estimated breed values are only as good as the person putting the information into them. And they're only a monitor within that breed. So you can't compare EBVs from Aberdeen Angus, for instance, to EBVs from Herefords or Limousins because they're only a, a marker for within that breed. The knowledge from the cattle we've transferred to the sheep and we only buy tups on EBVs now. We now buy tups from a company called Innovus. They breed tups and monitor their EBVs. We lamb outside, so we only buy tups with EBVs in the top 5% of ease of lambing and lamb vigor. And that means we can just lamb outside. Uh, we lamb in the end of April and it brings our cost of production down. We have one tup serving 100 ewes and that ram lasts for three years. 
And you've talked there about the connection to health and welfare and the performance, and then you've talked there that you're you're lambing outside on grass. How do you look at maybe managing stocking densities, or, or do you have a rotation around the farm? Stocking densities, again, it, it's a real historic thing. It sort of builds up, you know, 70 ewes will, will sit on that, that bit of grass for that period of time, and then we move it on. Our stocking densities are monitored. We know how many cows and sheep the farm can carry. We're using uh, nutrient management a lot better. We're up in our grass yields but then Northumberland's a funny county in that we get very very little grass growth between November and March and so we've we've always got to budget for that shortfall of grass we can't say that it's there grazing this year was a different year we were able to graze all the time but the previous year terrible so stocking densities we're, we're increasing our cow numbers we're increasing our sheep numbers but we're having to take grass from elsewhere for the sheep the cattle do not leave the farm because of disease control. They never leave the farm and we're double fenced all the way around the farm. We only buy in bulls from a a known source and that comes directly from the farm. We don't use the marts at all. You talked there about where grass is growing throughout the year in, in the county. How are you monitoring grass growth? Is it something you've just known from working the land for a while or do any uh, plate meter readings? <laughs> well, yes, shouldn't we? But don't I use the depth to my ankle or to my knee or to the sole of my shoe? <laughs> Maybe that's another place for a tattoo. Grass heights at my leg. That'd be really good, wouldn't it? <laughs> but yes, we use we use monitoring systems, but I, I must be coming a bit long in the tooth because you just know and you recognise it now and you know when there's enough grass there and you know where the good grass is. We were really fortunate to buy a farm about five years ago that had been managed limitedly, not managed very well for a good period of time. We had to apply for environmental impact assessment because of our case and because of the poor swords that were in there they said yeah not a problem and we started taking out 30 year old permanent pasture and putting in new grass swards with higher proteins the grasses that were in the sward weren't producing enough high protein and we needed high protein to feed to our cattle and the cheapest way to get protein isn't through cereals it's through grass i think i worked out that grass protein is eight times cheaper than cereal protein and yet when you sell the protein which is what we're doing it all comes in at the same price so the cheapest way to get that, that that flesh on the animal is through grass protein and they are ruminants they're bred to utilize grass protein i've got my my special mix of grass we have three italian ryegrasses in there we have early medium late flowering and maturing varieties we have an early medium late perennial ryegrasses in there and we have two different clovers and we have a westerworlds in there to give a big bite in the bottom of the crop so we know in in year one we can sow the crop and there's fresh new westerworld grass in the bottom within eight weeks to graze on and the rest just comes the westerworlds die out and the perennial ryegrasses and the italian ryegrasses take over the volume after that the the clovers there for bringing up the protein but also to nitrogen fix and we're, we're getting really good yields really high proteins which is is what we're after the protein is something that, that the sunshine does uh, but the quality of grass has got to be there we're managing that a lot lot better so we've talked about the performance of the animals how important that is for breeding and you've talked there about an amazing attention to detail on the grass to even be coming up with a recipe of your own grass mix certainly here at leaf and integrate farm management we would be looking at these things as the impact on the environment as well so do you do anything in terms of managing soil to prevent compaction or runoff or improve organic matters you see that's all part of integrated farm management you just do it because it makes sense and and we're in a process now whenever we manage anything if we've got to travel in the winter 
on the fields. It is only with quad bikes or the John Deere Gator. It's got low ground pressure. Nothing goes on the fields. I detest muddy gateways. The cows are brought in uh, for the winter purely to save the grassland. It's actually not to do with any benefit to the cows because the cows are hard as nails. Our cows, they're Northumbrian cows. They're tough as you like. They're Geordie cows. They're as tough as you like. So it's all about protecting the grass to make sure that grass is given its best opportunity in the spring to grow and come away. And then we can turn the cows out in the spring with their calves and they need that superb grass to milk off for the calves. It does frustrate me hugely that we've actually got to house the cows over the winter because it's a massive cost. It's not a benefit to the cow. It's a benefit to me. It allows me to tag the calf very quickly and or castrate it, you know, depending on a male or female. And so that bit of the management makes it dead easy for me. But actually to house them, the cows aren't bothered about a bit of snow and a bit of rain. They just find a bit in the back of the trees and, and, and stand away. You know, we have a fantastic herd health plan and a flock health plan that we adhere to and address every single year, depending on what's happening. And, and, and the vets are absolutely superb at putting up uh, health warnings for sheep and cattle that are happening in the area and it comes through Facebook and it flashes up. There's been a, a wee little scare, a worm problem because of the weather. We had a worm problem last year and already they're saying, you know, just monitor this, take fecal samples, we'll test them and know what you've got and then we know what we can control. And uh, I think that happened on Monday. That was a, a little Facebook thing. So it's it's absolutely superb how, how the internet and Facebook is working and um, and cranky, they're vets. They know more about the animals than we do. I just know about my farm. You also mentioned there what I think should be the new tagline of Leaf and IFM, which is, it makes sense, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like that a lot. I'd like to talk a little bit more about more attention to detail you're doing in what they're feeding. You've discussed grass there, but do you do any silage? Is that happening this year? It sounded like the weather is, has come just at the right point. And do you buy in any feed? We make silage. We're, we're actually, we're going to be a week behind last year, believe it or not. And, and if you looked at the silage fields six weeks ago, you would have said not a hope in hell. And we tried to shut our, our fields off at the end of April, but we, we need it for lambing and different things and cows turning out. And it's always scarce at that time of year. We're, we're just behind. Uh, we monitor. And uh, then, yes, we make silage or, or hay. We tend to go for a, a drier haylage, people call it, uh, if we're making silage. If there's a bit of moisture, we'll wrap it. We monitor the weather like hawks. We were standing in a, a silage field just this morning with the weather wrap on. So, you know, when's there a weather window that we're going to take this? Because we're not going to cut this and let it get soggy and, and, and denature on the floor. We've got a process and we, we stick to it. We do it a field at a time. We don't just do huge areas just in case we get hit by the weather so it's 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 minutiae attention to detail which would amaze my teachers at school that i had attention to detail but it's what develops as you come older and needs must isn't it and then once the six seven weeks are up and the silage has been wrapped we make bale silage we don't make clamp silage we're really at the point of needing clamp silage but we don't want a clamp on one farm because we've got two farm steadings where the animals are fed and we don't we don't just want one bolt it's easy with bales to shift things around and then we'll test it and we're, we're averaging a test on first cut silage of 14.3% proteins. I go on about proteins all the time. I know there's other things ME but if, if, if you haven't got the protein you're chasing your tail because you've got to buy in another source of protein which is cereal protein which is really really expensive to try and buffer that feed. 
uh, and bring it up. You can't just give them 11% protein and say, oh, they'll get on with it. They actually don't thrive and they don't get on with it. Another thing, attention to detail, is the way we, we spain or wean our calves now. They start eating silage out in the field with their mothers about six weeks before we take them off their mothers. The calves are drinking milk and the most beautiful grass right the way through the summer. And then what we do is we just split them and give them this pickly gherkin-y stuff. And it must be horrible. They've never had it. They've been drinking milk and eating grass. And they've never had this uh, this silage before. Uh, and we expect them to eat it. And and their bodies are accustomed and their, their, their four stomachs are accustomed to utilising the milk and the grass. And all of a sudden you're giving them a silage, a pickle. And so we, we bring that in. So actually when they're outside, they're eating the grass, the silage and the, their mother's milk. And, and then we bring them in. And we noticed last year, it was just unbelievable how calm the calves were so quickly. It took them a day and a half to calm down. Whereas in the past, they've still been yelling for their mothers for a week, but they calmed down ever so quickly. It's those little things, you know, six weeks of just putting silage mail out in the field every now and then, it gets their bodies accustomed to it. And the cows are happier as well. Any related to silage, any uh, silent effluent that you get, maybe not in the bales, or how do you manage uh, dirty water or runoff? Dirty water, we're, we're really, really careful. One farm's in a, an NVZ on the, on the edge of a triple SI. The other farm runs into the River Tweed, and so we just control. There's no runoff. That's how we control it. We're very aware of where we put mud keeps. We're very aware of where we put silage bales. We make sure there's no runoff. It's all part of integrated farm management. It's common sense constantly. So we've talked a lot there about your attention to detail on monitoring of health, your attention to detail on, on protein, and I'm sure there's other nutrients that you're monitoring as well. And whilst our biggest problem at the moment is this pandemic, Brexit isn't going to be far behind of the next thing we need to look at. And there's certainly a lot of talk at the moment about us transitioning into elms and this public money for public goods element. How for you do all these things tie together and look at how you can produce this kind of public good that government's looking to reward? Because we're monitoring our cattle so much, because we're bolusing our cattle, because they're never short of any nutrients. We got 100% cows in calf this year and we have 97% calving. We average 97% calving, which is just extreme. Now, if you've got the influences of Yonis and BVD on your herd, you will get less than 75% calving because of it. Now, the government wants us to be more streamlined and they want us to be more sustainable, control these two diseases and, and all, all of a sudden the beef industry will become more profitable. Well, thank you so much, Johnny. You've painted an amazing picture there of your farm, of how integrated farm management is so key, how it all ties together totally from the ground up, from that attention to detail on the soil and the grass up to the breeds you've chosen uh, and how you're managing them and working with your vet with an incredible attention to detail. Hopefully we'll be out on farm again soon, Johnny, and you'll welcome us to your, your farm sometime soon. But in the meantime, if you want to find out more, Johnny featured in quite a few of our other videos on the Leaf website, or in Simply Sustainable Biosecurity and we've touched on there the importance of, of that to your farm. But for now, thank you all for listening and see you next time. <laughs>